Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter. And try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, we acknowledge a special anniversary. Believe it or not, it's been 20 years since the last major fatal crash of a major airline in the United States. The tragedy of American Airlines Flight 587 on November 11, 2001, just after takeoff from New York's JFK en route to the Dominican Republic. I'll speak with Patrick Smith, the author of Cockpit Confidential and AskThePilot.com about this remarkable safety achievement. Then I'll check in with Greg Fife, former lead investigator for the National Transportation Safety Board, on what this achievement means and discuss the real challenge, not whether we can improve on that safety record, but whether we can simply maintain it. Then we'll get an update on the cruise industry from a true expert, Gene Sloan, the senior cruise editor for The Points Guy, who just got off the newest ship afloat. First up, Patrick Smith. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. Patrick, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Peter. And um, I, I, I am amazed and, and immensely pleased that we're having this conversation. I didn't know that we would get to have it. I, I hoped we would get to have it. Each year since uh, the crash of Flight 587, it was another, was another milestone. And, and then we were approaching the 20-year anniversary. I remember 17th, 18th, 19th, and thinking, will we get to 20? Will we get to 20? And uh, I had my doubts, but we we pulled it off. And as you just noted, November 12th 
was the 20th anniversary of the crash of Flight 587, 587, which means we have now gone 20 full years since the last, what we would call, a large-scale crash involving a major U.S. carrier. And this is by far the longest such streak in history. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's literally amazing. As you and I are talking right now, how many planes are in the sky? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, but th- there's so many ways we can play with the statistics. Um, I think it's uh, how many people have been carried safely by the U.S. majors since 2001, 20 billion. I mean, it's just it's just remarkable. And, and now, to be clear, we're, we're, we're gerrymandering statistics a little bit here. There have been fatal accidents oh, since sure, 2001. There the, sure, there was the Colgan Air crash near Buffalo back in February of 2009. Calm Air. in Kentucky. But I'm running out. I mean, seriously. And there have been a couple of, uh, there were the, the two Southwest incidents where uh, a single person was killed on each plane. But, but what we haven't seen in 20 years is the kind of uh, mega crash that was once brutally routine year after year after year. When you go through the archives from, say, the 1970s into the 2000s, rarely would a year go by without at least one or more front page disasters where you had 100, 200, 300, even 400 some odd people killed at a time in in the 18 years leading up to 2001 not counting the 9-11 attacks the american legacy airlines which back then included names like pan am twa eastern recorded 10 major crashes now the idea that we could go 20 years without another disaster like that would have been unthinkable at the time especially when you consider there are now twice as many planes carrying twice as many people as there were then. And we've also been through uh, the dark years in the early 2000s when all the airlines were in and out of bankruptcy, uh, not to mention the the challenges of the last 20 months or so brought on by the the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, it's been the best of times, but also the worst of times. And all it would have taken was one screw up, one tragic mistake, and, and we wouldn't be here today. But here we are. Okay, so now here comes the bad question. You ready? We celebrate 20 years of a, a truly amazing safety record. Not, it's argue, you can't even argue it. It's, it's a fact. Now the question becomes, how do we maintain that? <laughs> well, that, yeah, you're right. This is the hard question. And to answer that, you know, we have to talk about, well, how did we get to this point? What, what brought us here? Um, for me, it was three things. Uh, better training, better technology, and uh, the controversial one, the, the collaborative efforts of regulators working with airlines, pilot groups, advocacy groups, and so on. Um, we've engineered away, I think, what, what used to be the most common causes of accidents. But uh, complacency, you know, to just sit back and rest on our laurels now is about the worst response we could have because air safety is all about being proactive. And we have to stay a little cynical. There are weaknesses in the system. Our air traffic control system needs to be upgraded. Our airports need a lot of investment. And the the saga of the 737 MAX, um, and we've spoken about that on the show many times, has, has definitely been a cautionary window into just how lucky we've been. And it, it exposed some glaring weaknesses. It did. And one more thing I'll throw into the mix, and that's maintenance. Uh, so many airlines are continuing to outsource maintenance, and that by itself doesn't give me a problem. 
What gives me a problem is where's the oversight? Where are the inspections? Uh, whether they are U.S. operators that are operating independently or foreign operators that are operating independently. That's where I think we have an accident perhaps waiting to happen since there's no real inspection going on that I see. Um, and that, you know, it's one thing to check paperwork. It's another thing to actually check the work itself. And I hope that where we have, you know, new supervision at the U.S. Department of Transportation and the FAA, that they will once again focus on proper supervision of the work being done by these maintenance companies. Yeah, duly noted, Peter. I mean, that that is an issue. Um, I can tell you that working for a major U.S. airline, um, you know, I don't see weaknesses in day-to-day maintenance uh, at my carrier. I, I don't know down below the surface how much of an issue this really is, but it's it's maybe not as urgent as, as you're making it out to be, um, which isn't to say that there aren't loopholes that need closing and that sort well, of thing. Well, you know what? It may not be as urgent as I make it out to be until it is. So I'm just raising it. <laughs> no, no, ab- absolutely. And and we're, we're never going to eliminate accidents yeah. completely. I mean, something will happen again at some point. But for the moment, you know, I think I, I think a congratulatory moment is, is well earned. I mean, this isn't a minor story to have gone 20 years without a, a major disaster. If... If you ask me, I think it's one of the most significant milestones in all of commercial aviation history. My thanks to Patrick. Greg Fife was the lead investigator for the National Transportation Safety Board. He was the first guy in on so many after-crash investigations. And he and I actually worked on the crash of the Concorde as well. That was back in 2000. Fife was charged as that lead investigator with finding the probable cause in every crash. No easy task. And the crash of American Flight 587 led right back to how that particular plane was first certified as airworthy. That's still a topic today. Hey, Greg. Hello, my friend. How are you? Okay. So it is really astounding that we've gone 20 years without a a huge major aircraft disaster. We had one in 2009 that was Colgan Air in Buffalo, uh, which was uh, the Continental Express plane. Uh, A tragic case indeed. But if we're talking major accidents, we've actually gone 20 years. It is a remarkable uh, story here in the United States of what has happened over that 20-year period. Like you said, uh, we did have Colgan. Of course, we had Comair in Kentucky as well. And, and while we can't uh, minimize uh, the impact that those two accidents had, when you look at this major investigation of a uh, A300-600 Airbus where, you know, 200 plus people were on board and, and uh, were killed, what has happened in that 20 years and how we've improved our safety record here in the United States is actually very remarkable. It is. And to revisit that particular accident, it was uh, an Airbus 300, as you mentioned, heading for the Dominican Republic, taking off from uh, one of the runways at JFK. It was in line behind a Japan Airlines 747, which took off right before him. He was then cleared to take off. And as he gained altitude, not much altitude, but as he gained altitude, he ran into some some wake turbulence from the 747, which on its own is not enough to, uh, to necessarily create a problem. Pilots are trained how to deal with that. And in this particular case, the pilot training on that aircraft was that in the event that you hit uh, wake turbulence, which of course is pretty bumpy, you exercise some rudder, which is what the co-pilot who was flying the plane did. 
But then a remarkable thing happened. As he exercised the hard rudder, the rudder fell off the plane. It separated. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the uh, of course the the prime cause was the loss of the vertical stabilizer, and of course the real question for the NTSB and uh, the investigative team was why. When you look at how airplanes are certified and built, the standards that they must meet, um, it isn't you know haphazard. Uh, the FAA, as well as uh, the rest of the regulatory authorities around the world, require certain dynamic conditions and the probability of failure. So when you look at uh, the vertical stabilizer and, and, of course, the mounts to hold that stabilizer, you're talking a failure rate of 10 to the minus ninth or one, you know, one in a billion, if you will. And so when you look at you know, what it takes to certify an aircraft, especially a transport category aircraft like this one was, and then to have the vertical stabilizer separate because the pilot was doing his job. That was he was controlling the airplane with the rudders, as you said, for him to what we call walk the rudder. That is you're you're constantly um, it's kind of like pumping your brakes, except with the rudder, you're moving a, a, vert a flight control. Um, he walked that rudder a little bit to maintain control, and it, it put so much aerodynamic load on that vertical stabilizer that it broke the mounts. Which, highly unusual, and in the investigation after the accident, what we learned was that particular plane was the very first production model of the Airbus 300, and when they made the plane, they had a problem when they did the actual fastening of the tail assembly to the rest of the fuselage, they got an FAA-approved fix to basically, I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to sound silly, but in, in aviation terms, they got it fixed to, to re-glue it back on and refasten it back on, which was an approved fix. But over the years, apparently not good enough. So when you applied that pressure, it just took off. And of course, once that happened, the plane was unflyable and crashed into Rockaway. And, and you bring up a good point, Peter, and that is, that that was when when an aircraft manufacturer builds an airplane, they they take the first five six aircraft and use them for aircraft certification. That is, they must demonstrate to their respective regulatory authority through flight test and that kind of thing that the airplane does meet the standard. This was one of those certification airplanes uh, before it was going to be delivered to American Airlines. And yes, they did have these problems. What we didn't really don't understand, and even to this day, Peter, we don't have a good basis of knowledge, and that is how composite materials in the use, uh, as they're used in aviation, really react. We've got a lot of history with metal airplanes, whether it's steel, aluminum, or, or you know, a variant titanium, things like that. We've got a, a very big catalog of what stressors they can they can uh, they can take uh, what will cause of course corrosion and things like that but we don't have that basis of knowledge and we're continually learning new things and especially over the past 20 years because now more and more airplanes are incorporating uh, variants of composite materials in their construction it's harder to focus than ever these days thankfully C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus from your brain to your body. 
C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. My thanks to Greg. Some of you might think the cruise industry is dead in the wake of COVID-19. You might want to think again. The industry is back and about to sail full in 2022. And new ships are now being launched, including the newest one, the Scarlet Lady from Virgin Cruises, the latest subsidiary of Richard Branson's Virgin brand. Gene Sloan, the senior cruise editor for The Points Guy, just got off that ship. Hey, Gene. Hey, good to see you. And you got on the ship and you sailed on it. I did. I was on the very first voyage out of Miami uh, when they started up just a few weeks ago. And um, quite an experience. Well, let me be, let me stop you for one th- thought and, and give you sort of my stereotypical responses before you tell me about your experience. When they decided to launch this ship, you know, we know that the median age of most cruisers is 50 plus. Even though the median age has been coming down, it's not really thought of as an experience for the millennials or for the generation X's or Z's. Um, you know, back 25 years ago, cruises were thought of as for the newlywed and the nearly dead. Now, there's an attempt by a number of cruise lines to lower that median age and appeal to a different market segment. This is clearly an attempt at that. Uh, and when I got on the ship, uh, and I toured the ship, I was amazed by a couple of things. I was worried about a couple of things. Uh, I was amazed by the architecture of the ship, uh, all the different venues within the ship for participatory sports or, or theater or entertainment. Um, I thought that the, uh, um, you know, it was, I, I've never seen as many bars as I've seen on a ship uh, or drinking opportunities. Uh, but the one thing that, that put me over the edge was this is the first cruise ship I've ever seen that has a tattoo parlor on board. And, and I, as I said at the time, let me think, you're out at sea, massive amounts of alcohol and a tattoo parlor on board. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? Well, I'll tell you, Peter, I was, I was careful. I did not come back with a tattoo. But, uh, but boy, that thing was packed through the entire voyage. People were doing it. And uh, it didn't seem like they had regrets. I guess we'll see. Well, you know what? I I'm under the impre- I actually did some checking. You can't go get a tattoo in there unless you sign a waiver because <laughs> you don't want to wake up the next morning and say Winona forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, it, you know it's a fu- it's a fun thing. I think, um, and that tattoo parlor is part of the story they're telling. They and to your point, they they were. I mean, this is clearly a ship that was designed to draw in a younger crowd and that's something the cruise industry it's like a holy grail for them they've been trying for years to get younger people on board um and uh you know and, and at some level it works although we can talk about it i'm not the youngest guy out there and and i ended up having a good time on board so um it, it may not end up a drawing only a young crowd or as young a crowd as some people might have thought or i remember a story because i lived it with my mom that when my mom was turning 80, I wanted to send her on a cruise. And she said to me, I don't want to go on a ship with a lot of old people. Because she didn't perceive herself as old. Uh, She went and had the greatest time ever. But the point is, that is the the stereotype that's got to be broken. Yeah. 
I think that's it. And that, you know, um, and, and, you know, that kind of plays in the fact that I actually had a good time. And I think um, they actually, they are drawing some 40, 50, 60 somethings. I think when they, they first, you know, this thing's been talked about for years. They first announced this thing back in 2014. And when they first talked about it, it really was marketed as something for a very young crowd. We were thinking millennials, even younger um, and, you know, it's, it's to your point, it's, it's, you know, people in their fifties, sixties, even seventies, we all want to go on something and I'll, I'll full disclosure, I'm 52. So I'm maybe not what you would have thought the target market is, you know, we're that way. We you know, we want to be on something that maybe a, a younger crowd would want to be on. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where this shakes out with this ship. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, when I looked at the design of the ship, uh, you know, the cabins were not particularly large, um, and uh, yet the, the entertainment venues, the theaters were different in design, uh, allowing for a lot more interaction with the, with the, with the guests. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens where they, they've come up with an idea that they have so many different specialty restaurants, but you don't have to go to your wallet to eat there. Yeah, well, that last part, I think, is... Uh one of the real innovations on the ship. And, you know, it's interesting. They, they've, the whole process of this, they came in and said, we're going to do this differently. And as someone who's written about cruising for 20 plus years, I've been on almost 200 different ships. You know, I've heard that before, it, you know, and of course the cruise industry has been hugely successful. So when you hear people come and say, oh, we're going to do it differently. My first thing is to be skeptical on it, but um, there's a few things they did separate from the fact of drawing a younger crowd that I think are real winners. And that was one of them with the dining. So, you know, that people have this vision of cruising with the big main restaurant and maybe a few specialty restaurants that you pay extra for. They did away with all that. There is no big main restaurant. There's no free restaurant that has the kind of mid-level food and then the smaller, nicer restaurants you pay pay for. There's, there's a whole wide array. It's like being at a resort on land. There's basically like six uh, different kinds of cuisine restaurants all included in the price. And then there's a lot of like uh, quick bite places also on board, which, which knocks up the number of places you can grab a bite up to 20 plus, but uh, it's um, you know, it's exactly no, no charge for that. They try to be very all inclusive. They try to do away with some of the kind of old style of cruising. And I think a lot of it worked. Um, you know, some of it may rub off on the industry separate from this whole issue of, can they bring in a younger crowd? And of course, they, it's the itinerary they're going to be doing. They're not. There's not a single cruise they're doing that's longer than five days. Yeah. Well, that's uh, and that was something else that kind of raised my eyebrow in the beginning. Um, but and it won't. It, you know, they're coming out with several new ships. So uh, several more ships. It's a very fast rollout. They've got two more ships coming out next year, um, and then one more after that. And some of those ships are going to do longer. But for now, they're doing these four and five day trips. Um, and, and I think that, well, I was going to say it goes back to initially sort of this trying to draw a younger crowd, a quick getaway. People are testing out cruising, maybe don't want to commit to seven days or 10 days. Um, but I think we're going to see that change over time. And this particular ship, the Scarlet Lady, has been waiting to sail for like a year and a half. Uh, another brand that came out with some ships that have not yet sailed, and, and I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with them, is Ritz-Carlton. Yeah, boy, that's a, uh, I'm not sure what to say about that one. They have delayed that thing. And, you know, of course, people in the cruise business, people in the hotel business, people who love Ritz-Carlton, the hotel brand, have been waiting for this thing and waiting for this thing for years now. But it's, um, 
we're up to about two years, I think five, six delays on that. And unlike some of the other, like Virgin Voyages was delayed. There was another line, uh, Atlas Ocean Voyages with a slight delay, new lines were a result of COVID. In Ritz's case, it's it, they've had trouble with the shipyard. And, and um, you know, it's I get emails all the time from readers thinking like, when, asking when is this thing gonna happen? When it happens, all you know, everything points to it's going to be a wonderful brand, but it is just who knows on that brand right now. You know, and, and it also is a challenge because remember, when you say the word Virgin, uh, people know what Virgin Airways was or Virgin Music or or all the different things that Richard Branson has done. He's going into space now, right? Um, and it has a certain definition of, of, of a brand image. Uh, same thing with Ritz-Carlton. The question is, can you translate that to a ship? Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see. Of course, there are some cruise brands already that have a very kind of ritz carlton type feel. You know, there's some high-end luxury brands like Seaborn uh, or even Silver Sea uh, that are kind of like floating Four Seasons, floating Ritz-Carlton's. Um, you know, what, what Ritz has talked about doing sounds fabulous. It's it's intimate. We're talking like, I think, 300 passenger-ish, even smaller than some of the, you know, Seaborn, Silver Sea, Crystal-type type ships and uh, very you know, high-end, good service, everything you, you come to expect with Ritz. So um, I have high hopes for the brand. I think it's it's been a, it's been a little it's been frustrating for the consumers who have booked it. And, you know, especially a lot of, a lot of the early bookers were Ritz uh, regulars who just, you know, expect this thing to come out and then delay and then delay and delay. And, um, you know, I hope they get it right because, of course, it's a wonderful brand, Ritz-Carlton. Do we have any idea when this thing's going to sail? It, you know, it's, every time I've been sure it's going to happen, it gets delayed another six months. The latest now is, I think, May um, next year. But, you know, and they say for sure now. Okay. And they've said that before. <laughs> my thanks to Gene, to Greg Fife, and to Patrick Smith. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.